This is about, well, a great escape. And the person in this story is George Washington. Let me read this to you. I think we have a, a, a painting or a drawing of one of, of, a, of this event happening here. Less than two months after July 1776 signing of the Declaration of Independence, General George Washington's Continental Army was in a fight for its life. The Patriots had failed to check a British amphibious assault on Long Island and following a disastrous defeat at the Battle of Brooklyn, some 9,000 Americans were pinned against the East River. While British General Sir William Howe settled in for a siege, Washington ordered his men to round up all the flat-bottom boats they could find. As drenching rains fell on the night of August 29th, he used his hastily assembled flotilla to silently ferry unit after unit across the river to the safety of Manhattan. The regiment of Massachusetts fishermen that manned the boats used rags to muffle the sound of their oars, and campfires were left burning in Brooklyn to deceive the British to make them think that they were still there. Many Continentals had still yet to be evacuated from Brooklyn by sunrise, but luckily for General Washington, a dense fog rolled in and masked the final stages of the withdrawal. By the time the British finally realized what had happened, all 9,000 colonists had slipped away along with most of their equipment and artillery. In the history of warfare, I do not recall a more fortunate retreat, Continental Officer Benjamin Talmadge later wrote. And uh, so that painting was of that event. I think we have another one as well. Yes, of General Washington going, load the artillery, let's get, we have 9,000 people. The British have got us pinned in and they are all going to be captured or, or worse. We have to escape. And so under cover of darkness with boats and then, you know, a providential fog in the morning and to get 9,000 people over to safety. You know, when we think about this retreat, when we think about retreats, it's like retreat is a bad thing. Like retreating is bad. It means that you're losing. You're losing and you have to go, we're out of here. But this one, as history would say, was beneficial. And this wouldn't be the only retreat of General Washington. And these were necessary retreats so that you could, well, fight another day. And so today's story and what we're going to be looking at is a bit of a retreat. So the title of this morning's message is Knowing When to Retreat. Knowing When to Retreat. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Let's pray and then we'll get right into the word here. Father, as we come before you, we thank you that uh, you've drawn us all together. We thank you that the, the word is open before us. And we just pray, God, that as we look into your word, that you would speak to us. We pray that you would open our hearts to understand what your word says. We thank you, Jesus, that you set the example for us. You showed us how to live. You showed us how to interact with those around us. And we pray that for each of us, we would look at your word today and learn something about how we should interact with people around us as well. Holy Spirit, empower me to do the work of the ministry. And Father, we pray that you would teach each one of us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's start off here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. This is going to be the last verse we read last Sunday, but this gives you a little feel for where people were. Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, that's Jesus, how to destroy him. Oh, great. 
So if you haven't been here, here's where we're at. The religious leaders of the day had Jesus come into their synagogue. And as Jesus came into their synagogue, he did a miraculous healing. And on the day that he did it, it was the Sabbath day. The religious leaders said, you know what? You can't be doing stuff like that on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, listen, if you had like a sheep and it was stuck in a pit, even if it was on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you go and rescue that sheep out of the pit? And then Jesus says, how much more value are people than animals? And then Jesus heals this man. And after that, after that amazing thing that Jesus did right in their synagogue, the Pharisees went out and conspired how to destroy him. And I told you this last week, could you imagine coming to a church and you're kind of new and you're like, hey, how you doing? And you just kind of, you know, you're loving to people. You greet people. You say hi to people. Maybe you pray for someone and it's just your first time there. And then as you're leaving, you notice that not everybody's really happy that you're there. You didn't feel very welcome when you showed up to church. And then you kind of notice that they're looking at you funny and you see them grumbling a little bit. And then as you walk by them, you hear some words. So how are we going to kill him? Could you imagine that being a church experience that you see? Some of you are like, I've had some bad church experience. Jesus has had some really bad experiences, too. I'm pretty sure none of you had people talking about killing you after your bad church experience. Jesus really did. And this is what I love about Jesus. You can really go to him and go, you know, even if you have a bad church experience, I hope not here. But let's say, you know, through ones that you may have had in your past, you can really go to Jesus and go, Jesus, do you understand? And you know who understands? Jesus really understands. So let's see what Jesus does, because he is the son of God. He is God incarnate. He's just going to be like, you know what? You people are fools. I'm going to deal with all of you. I'm going to incinerate all of you. Like you, you, you're just, you missed the whole point. And those of you religious leaders, I'm done with you. He could have. I'm going to have my whole army of angels. I'm the commander of the angel armies. I'm going to bring them in and they're going to wipe you out. I can't believe that you would treat me with disrespect in the synagogue. Look what Jesus does. Verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, aware that they want to destroy him withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. Huh? What? Verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out loud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Now that's most of what we're going to read. We're going to read two more verses later on this morning, but right now, that's the passage I want us to focus on. It's a very interesting interaction, a bad church interaction, and Jesus could do a lot of things, and it says there that he chose to withdraw. If you're looking at your Bibles too, I want you to note something very important, verse 18 and verse 21. Twice in this passage here, it's quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus says, as he's interpreting, as he's sharing this verse here, he's saying that God's plan is is to proclaim justice in verse 18 to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, which is mind-blowing for the Jews. Like, those Gentiles? They're they're heathen. They're not like us. Well, Jesus right here, as he's quoting Isaiah, says, you know what? I've come to proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And then he goes on in verse 21, at the very end of that passage there, and it says, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. 
This is not really a major point of this study, but I thought I'd mention it before I forgot. It's always been God's plan to reveal the gospel to the non-Jewish world. It's always been God's plan. There are some that will say, well, no, you know, the Jews failed God. And so, you know, God had no choice but to go to the Gentiles. Uh, God has always planned to go to the Gentiles. And as a Gentile, let me tell you, I am super thankful that that was always God's plan. And as most of you are Gentiles, you're not a Jew. You should also be really thankful that God's plan from the beginning was to include you in the gospel message that you would receive it and have an opportunity to accept Christ. I'm so glad this is not like an exclusive club where it's like, sorry, just the Jewish people. And maybe if you read the Bible, you go, well, they seem like a really exclusive group and I can't really get in there. Well, God's love, it's amazing. He opened it up to the entire world. So we look at what Jesus did here. Jesus withdrew and withdrawing. Well, that's another way that you can say retreat. It's a retreat of sorts. And why is Jesus retreating right now? Like, Jesus, you don't have to retreat. I was, uh, I I, I was looking up, like, you know, there's some of these, um, there's some sayings that you can find, you know, and and not um, slogans that you can have. And it's like, no surrender, no retreat, right? I've seen that one before. And I'm like, okay. And while that sounds like, yeah, um, here's the reality. Everybody in this life has to surrender to somebody. Everybody does. So, you know, no retreat, no surrender. Uh, and the reality of a person that goes, I've never retreated any time in my life. You are a liar. You are a liar. So how about we deal with truth rather than some slogan that makes you the machismo, just make you go, yeah, no retreat, no surrender. Okay, how about the real world where we all live? Because everyone in this life has to surrender to someone. And the sad thing is for some people, they won't realize until the end of their life the consequence of them not surrendering their life to Christ. They instead surrendered their life to their flesh, to the cares of this world. But everybody surrenders to some someone. Everyone surrenders to someone. And so this idea of retreating, though, retreating sounds bad. Like it sounds like I've lost. Well, I have to ask you here, did Jesus lose here? He didn't lose. This was a choice that he made. He could have said, you know what, you guys, I'm going to go head to head with you. I'm going to step up in your face and I'm going to share with you how wrong you are. And I'm not going to budge. I'm going to be nose to nose with you. I'm going to be spitting on you as I'm talking to you. And I'm going to wait till you back off. That's not the way it is with Jesus. Jesus chose to withdraw. And as he withdrew, others came with him. And then it said in verse number 16, he ordered them not to make him known. In other words, Jesus is like, you don't have to share publicity about, publicity about who I am right now. That's not the time. And so we're coming into a whole new section of scripture. It's, it's going to be in 12 and 13, but then from chapter 14 of Matthew all the way to chapter 20, Jesus is going to more or less avoid the religious leaders. Why isn't he going head to head? Why is he like retreating? Why is he like, is he afraid of them? He's not afraid of anybody. But Jesus has a purpose in withdrawing because as he's withdrawing, is he just sitting there going, I'm just so scared. I'm shaking. I'm hiding in a corner. I'm just going to twiddle my thumbs and just hope that no, he's actively doing things as he's retreated. He's retreated from going face to face with the opposition. And he's decided instead to focus on his disciples and those that were following him. 
And so he got to spend quality time with them. But to spend time with them, you have to sometimes stop doing something so that you can do something really important. And so Jesus chose to withdraw or retreat from his adversaries so that he could focus on those who are following after him. And I think just that principle right there is huge, that for us to sometimes do the things that God's called us to do, we have to retreat on some other things. Some other things that we may be pressing hard against and going, we're going to make it. I'm going to, with my American, you know, roll up my sleeves and sweat on my brow and it's going to happen. What if God's saying, hey, I'm calling you to withdraw from that so that you could focus, so that you can focus on something else. And if you start to go, well, what example do I have? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. I don't want you to think of a retreat as a failure because it's not always that case. I mean, again, the George Washington example that we looked at earlier, because of those planned withdrawals, the way that it worked out and the way that they did it, they were able to come back another day and there was victory. I mean, you've heard the phrase, right? He who fights and runs away lives to fight another day, right? And so it's, and while it's like, okay, that's fine, but I don't want that to be something that I say very often. Well, it's something that we need to say as often as we need to say it. We have to look at the reality of our situations and sometimes we have to ask ourselves, am I just working the situation? Is it just me trying to make it happen? Am I allowing God to lead me in my life or am I kicking doors down and trying to be successful in my mind by my own strength? Because if you are, how do you know that God's still in it? What if God's just going, hey, I've called you to back away from that. You know, there's this other phrase too. It uses the first part of what I said. And I think we have a screen of this one here. He who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. But he who stops and takes a chance makes his exit in an ambulance. Ambulance. Yeah, okay. So, you know, there are sometimes it's the right thing to step away. Sometimes it's the right thing to go all right, you're probably thinking less of me that I'm backing away, but I, I know that it's the right thing for me to do. But then we have to struggle with what other people think. I don't want to look like I'm weak. I don't want to look like they, I don't want them to think like they won. Jesus, you know what I love about this? Jesus didn't care what the religious leaders thought. I'm sure some of them thought, oh, look, he's going away. We won. He didn't, he wasn't baited by those kind of things. He still did what he needed to do. You know, Jesus, this is not the only time that Jesus has retreated. This is not the only time that Jesus has withdrawn. And you and I can learn from the example of our Savior who did this. When he was sometimes with, with crowds, he would actually walk away from the crowds and he would separate himself so that he could be alone. He needed to retreat. And we talked about this word, a word for our church this year, the word Sabbath. It means you stop doing something so that you can find rest in God. It doesn't mean that, oh, I'm going to sit, you know, on a beach and watch the sunset. No, the idea is we have our Sabbath, our rest in a person, not in a place and not in a day. And so if you want to truly find rest, you know what God's going to ask you to do sometimes? He's going to ask you to retreat. He's going to ask you to cease from doing something and pull back from doing something so that you can focus on him and experience the true peace of God in your life. It doesn't have to wait till Sunday. It could happen Monday morning. You just may have to stop doing something. You may have to stop thinking in a certain way so that you can enjoy the rest of Christ. Look at what Jesus did here in Luke chapter 6. You'll see it on the screen here. In these days, he, Jesus, went out to a mountaintop to pray. And all night he continued to pray to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. 
And so Jesus had a retreat. Was it a long retreat? Was it a week-long retreat? No, it seemed to be that night, but it was all night. Oh, well, it was probably really restful. He probably had a cozy, you know, you know, bed and breakfast and a nice comfy bed. And no, he went to a mountaintop at night and he prayed all night long. And you know what Jesus received there from the Father? He received the, well, the peace of God. But then we also see the example here that Jesus retreated before something important was about to happen. What was the important thing that was happening? He chose his 12 disciples. You know, God's going to call you to retreat so that in, in the retreat, it's not like, oh, it's a defeat. It's not a defeat. It's this first step of God doing a great work in your life. It's the first step of God speaking about something that you've been like, I'm trying to figure out the answer to this dilemma that I have. Well, you know what you may need to do? You may need to just retreat from your busyness in life so that you can, for, a, for some time, focus on what God's telling you. Jesus gave us the example. This is not the only one. Here's another one. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, 23. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And while he dismissed the crowds. So he sends the disciples off and he sends the crowds away. And what does Jesus do? Look at this. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. You know, there is something to be said, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but to get into nature and to just spend some time. Spend some time what? Spend some time with God. What does that mean? And I know sometimes people struggle with that. What does that mean? Like, do I just walk around like, hey, God, hi. Okay, what do you want to tell me? You know, sometimes the, what God wants to tell you aren't spoken in words. They're actually spoken much deeper. And, and also when God speaks to us, it happens on God's timetable, not our timetable. Hey, God, I, I slotted you out like uh, 40 minutes. So I'm going to go take this 40 minute walk. And I really expect you to, to speak to me in that time. You know what the Lord may tell you? Hey, retreat from that other thing that you have pressing. It's not really that pressing. What would be more important than you and I hearing from God? I mean, really, what would be more important about that? So before these important times in life, we see in these important moments, we see Jesus stepping away from the crowd and even his own disciples so that he could meet with the Father. I'm going to take you to another example of Jesus retreating. And this is a, I'm sure you've heard of this one here. This was in the garden. Mark chapter 14, verse 30 through 32 through 36. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. In other words, you stay here. I'm going to go pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. So he took three disciples with him and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. So now that he's got those three disciples with him, he says, you three, now you stay here. And then Jesus, he's retreating. And as he's retreating, notice how there's less and less people with him. See, the key to a person being successful in this life is not that you have a whole bunch of people around you, but it's that you have a strong relationship with God who made you. And Jesus as he's retreating, as he's withdrawing, he withdraws from a group of people, then he withdraws from most of his disciples, then he withdraws from these three, and he's by himself. Well, something important must be happening. Yes, something is. Verse 35, and going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, that's Daddy. Daddy, Papa, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, 
yet not what I will, but what you will. And you know what? The father spoke to the son and there was no other way for you and I to have our sins paid, but for Jesus to go to the cross. And you know, for the son to hear from the father, he put a request in, remove this cup from me. Yet at the end of it, I'm going to put my request. You can do that with God as well. But at the end of the day, not what I will, but what you will. It's a wonderful example for prayer for us. We can put in requests to God. I put in requests to God all the time. But at the end of it, it's like, God, but at the end of it, you get to choose whatever you want and, I'll, and help me to be okay with whatever your choice is. I almost said, and God, I will be okay with whatever your choice is. But let's be real. Sometimes we're, we're afraid of what God will pick for us. And so my prayer is, God, help me to be okay with what you pick. Because God always picks the right thing. I just don't always like the things that God picks. And so, I got to ask you a question. When's the last time you retreated? Do you have a go, 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 personality? When's the last time you retreated? When's the last time you withdrew from the going and instead said, God, I'm tired. I'm really tired. I'm really dry right now. I'm in a dry season. If you're in a dry season, you need, you need to find the water is what you need to find. You don't need to keep going. You need to find the water. Jesus is the source of what you're looking for. And sometimes the way that you disengage too, <clears throat> the enemy would love to put obstacles in our path. We know that, right? He also likes to put distractions in our path. And some of those distractions, you know what they can be? They can be an argument. What do you mean? Somebody that just wants to argue with you. I mean, be honest. How easy is it for, for a person to bait you? To what? To bait you into an argument. How easy is it? Because here's the thing. If you're easy to be baited, guess what the enemy's going to do? He's going to bring people around that are just going to push all your buttons. They're going to play chords on all your buttons too. And if you're not sharp enough to realize what's actually going on, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be engaging in fruitless conversation, which isn't conversation. It's just argument. You know, one, it only takes one person to be angry, but it takes two people to argue about it. It takes two people to fight. One person can't just fight. I mean, like, what are we doing here? Like, that's done, Right. Usually a person that's angry or upset or frustrated, they're looking for someone else to either agree with them or to disagree with them, but it doesn't matter. They just want someone else. Don't you be that someone else. Be smart enough to know what's going on. And when you have that decision point where you go, oh, this person is, oh, I'm going to give it to them. They are so wrong, like 10 different ways. And I'm just going to tell them all 10 of them right now. I'm going to, you know what, you're, about that moment is probably where God's telling you to back away. God's telling you to just, just back away. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle does not belong to you and I. And you know, it's a really sad thing for the person that God says, hey, whoa, 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 retreat, back up, withdraw. And for that person that just goes, God, I got this one. I feel sorry for that person. And you know what? Sometimes I feel sorry for that person because that person ends up being me where I know better and I know it's like, oh, this is going to be, I could say something right now and I think I'm going to. And God's like, don't do it, Jim. 
You have a choice. And keep this in mind. We always have a choice to disengage. We always have a choice to be able to disengage. Be wise and disengage when you're called to disengage. Now, does this not mean that there's times where, no, God has clearly called me to say something? And of course, but let's not overdo that one, okay? Let's not be like, hey, well, I should have just stayed here. Well, did God tell you to? Well, no, he didn't. Actually, he was actually telling me to back away, but I, I felt like it was an easy win. I thought I'd just win this argument really easy. Keep in mind, this world is full of people that just like to argue and they don't actually care (laughs) about what they're talking about. They just like to see people riled up. They like to see frustration and anger on other people's faces. Don't you be that other person. You know, we live in a world that it kicks and it screams. It demands to be heard. And it thinks the louder it yells and the louder it screams, the more that it will be heard. Don't you be that person. I mean, I use the example of, you know, internet forums. Like, don't read the comments. Like, stop. Don't, do, go, don't go down there. If you're easily baited, don't go down there. Because it's only a matter of time before someone eventually in the thread will say something that will offend you. And if you, if you don't have that control, don't go down there. Just avoid it. Is it really worth your time? Is it really worth it? Does it build you up as a human being? You know, sometimes there's this idea and there's this this worldly thought of if I get angry enough, if I scream and I throw a tantrum, you know, kids will do it. I'll get what I want. Well, then those kids grow up and they become adults who kick and scream and throw tantrums to get what they want. They do it in a more adult and refined way. But yet, if we get down to it, it's just a tantrum. But James talks about this in the Bible, about operating with that level of of interaction. James 1, verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'm going to be so angry that it's just going to end up being right. Oh, no, no, no. That's the worldly way of operating. And the Bible very clearly tells us, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You know, there's phrases that you also hear. Here's one, the squeaky wheel gets oiled. Grease. What is that? The squeaky wheel gets what? Greased. Greased. Not oiled? Man, I got to edit that. I thought it was oiled. It's greased? Wow. All right, well, I appreciate that. This is good. I like the team. We're doing this together here then. The squeaky wheel gets greased, right? But the the person who operates on that principle lives a squeaky life. No, seriously, do you get it? If a person starts... I was right on that one though, right? So, I mean, but but this idea of if you're trained to... You know what? If I just make noise, if I make noise, then people will hear me. Then you know what? You've just trained yourself to be noisy. That's now your de facto standard of how you operate. I'm just going to keep squeaking and keep squeaking and keep squeaking. And if I do it loud enough, oh, nobody's noticing, I'm going to do it more and louder and more and louder. And now we're doing things the way of this world. Obviously, a balance is in order. Please don't misunderstand this morning. I'm not saying that there's not times you're supposed to stand firm for where God's called you to stand. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that there's not times where you need to speak up and say something. I'm just looking at the passage we're in and we're clearly seeing Jesus withdrawing from fruitless conversation and arguments. There's lots of wisdom for retreating. There's a wisdom to retreat in the right circumstances. 
I mean, that's why they call them retreats in the sense that, you know, you hear about a, a women's retreat that's happening up or I'm going to go for a retreat at this retreat center. Well, it's not a failure in that way. That's a good form of it. That's like I'm getting away so that I can relax, so that I can, you know, get my mind in the right place, so that I can think about what's going on in my life. And that's what God wants to offer each one of us. So there's a balance here. If you're a person that never asks for help, you know, you're too proud and you're just like, I don't want to bother people. You know, the pride comes across this way. I never want to bother people. Well, that's pride. But okay, you just don't want to ask for help. Then you've gone too far on that side because you need to ask for help from time to time. God's called you to do that. Well, I don't want to, you just said squeaky, you know, grease, uh, greasing a squeaky wheel here. I don't want to be that person. Well, if you're a person that never asks for help, then God wants to move you off of that just a little bit so that you would be humble enough to ask people for help. What if you're on the other side? The other side is you just start asking everybody all the time and the problem is you never ask God first. See, the thing with the squeaky wheel syndrome where that's where you end up and that's where you know, you've been trained to, a person that ends up being a squeaky wheel, odds are they haven't ever been trained to ask God first. It's amazing how many answers in life can be answered if we just go to God first. And we don't even have to go to anybody. We can actually just go to God and God goes, listen, I'm not going to answer your question directly, but here's what I'm going to give you. Much better than your answer, I'm going to give you peace right now in your life. And you go, all right, my situation hasn't changed, but for whatever reason, I have a deep peace about my life. So if you find yourself being squeaky in your life, let me encourage you. Seek God before you seek people. Before you ask a single person, make it the habit of your life that you seek God first. About what? About everything. So Jesus, you know, we read this passage here and he was sharing a passage from the Old Testament. He didn't choose to openly fight his enemies, but instead what Jesus chose to do was quote Isaiah. And the reason he quoted Isaiah is because Jesus was fulfilling what Isaiah said. Isaiah told us that the person who would be coming as the Messiah would be a person who would withdraw, who would retreat. Really? Yes. The passage Jesus quoted was Isaiah 42, verse 1 through 4. It's going to be on the screen here. This is the passage from Isaiah. Isaiah wrote, Behold my servant, look at my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will, look at this, not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. So whoever this king is, this king of the perfect kingdom, this, this coming king, he is not going to be a boaster. He's not going to be a person that tells everybody how wonderful he is. He's not going to be his own press, if you will. And it goes on, Isaiah says this, hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. We'll talk about that. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. That's awesome. Till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So that's the passage that Jesus was speaking of in Matthew. And Jesus is just going, hey, I've been written about already. Your prophets told you that I would come and your prophets also told you the type of person I would be. You think about Jesus. When he went to the cross, he went quietly as a lamb to his slaughterers. He didn't kick and scream. They didn't have to drag him to the cross. He walked there quietly. And you think about it. 
of anybody could say, I didn't do it. I'm innocent. I'm not guilty. Jesus could have said it. And did Jesus say any of that? No. Why? Because that's not his personality. He had nothing to prove. He had nothing to be forgiven of. And now Jesus, as he quoted Isaiah here, Isaiah said some things about two things. One's a bruised reed. And you can read through that really quickly and go, bruised reed, what are we talking about? Well, here's a picture of a reed. You know, they're all over there in Jerusalem, uh, all over there in Israel, you know, by the River Jordan, you'd see them. And these reeds just grow up and they grow up every, and you see reeds. It's not like we don't have them around here. Jesus is saying a bruised reed he will not break. What does that mean? I mean, you see reeds here that clearly have broken because something, an animal, a person, or something has brushed past them and bruised them and kind of bent them and and they're still attached. They're not fully broken. And you can see, you know, the one up there. Jesus says, when I encounter a bruised reed, I'm not going to break it. What's the picture there? The picture is this. Reeds themselves, they're not a big thing. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them right there. They're they're usually not one. There's a whole group of them together. So who cares about a bruised reed, one that's been smashed a little bit? I mean, who really cares? I mean, from the world's perspective, a reed is fairly worthless. But what Jesus is saying here, as he quoted Isaiah, is a reed is not worthless to me. What Jesus says is, I won't despise a reed. I won't look at a reed that's broken or bruised and go, oh, that's worthless. Instead, what Jesus says is, I will try to fix that reed and I will try to restore it. Wow, Jesus is this amazing environmentalist. This is an amazing thing he's talking about here. He's not talking about reeds. He's talking about people. What Jesus is saying is the way my, my heart is and the way my attitude is, I'm not a boaster, I'm not a yeller, and I'm not a screamer. He goes, the kind of person I am, when I come across another human being who looks like this, whose life has been rough, who has been damaged by the things of this world, Jesus says, I don't despise them. I don't look at them and go, well, you're not really worth a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of others around that are much better than you. I'm just going to brush, I'm going to break you off because you're kind of in my way. And I'm going to focus on the ones that are doing just fine. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, I'm going to try to restore that reed that's bruised. Jesus cares about people whose lives are like that. And a person's life doesn't just happen like that overnight. That could be years of disappointment, pain, neglect, sorrow, heartbreak. Jesus says, a bruised reed, I will not break. You know, um, I'm so thankful for the, the tender-hearted nature of our Savior. In Psalms, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 34, verse 18 and 19, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. If you're brokenhearted, there is a person who understands. It's Jesus. He's near to you and he saves those crushed in spirit. Yeah, but my life, I feel like I'm worthless, like a reed. I mean, who cares about a reed? Jesus cares about a reed. But I mean, is it worth it that he's going to actually take time on that? I mean, I feel like I'm so disposable. I mean, if it's a reed, who cares about one reed? Jesus cares. Jesus cares about every single human being. And it doesn't matter how broken and how damaged you are. Jesus has the heart and the attitude that he wants to take care of you. And he has the power to do it. In Isaiah, it also said about something else, a faintly burning wick. What does that mean? What is a faintly burning wick? Some of your Bibles may say a smoldering flax. Okay, great. Even more confusing. I don't know what we're talking about here. Let's take a look at this. If we can look at this wick here. So we would think of a wick like on a candle. 
Their candles would have been more like this. It'd be like a clay jar and it had, um, you know, they didn't have like, it wasn't cotton that they had there. It would be more like flax. It was, and they would take this flax and they would roll it and they would get it into a kind of um, wick and they would be dipped into the, whatever the fuel was being used, the oil, and it would hang outside of this clay pot and they would light it. So that's kind of the candles that they would be used to. For us more, this is what we're used to. But what Jesus says here, he says, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. In other words, a wick that it's not burning quite as bright as that, but it's kind of more like that one there, where you kind of look at the one on the left there and you go, that's pretty much out. We're just waiting for the last few wisps to be done and then the candle is out. Jesus is saying, when I see a person who's like that, I'm not going to accelerate it and go and just put it out. What Jesus says is, I'll take that person who's just smoldering. It's like everybody else in the world would kind of turn their back and go, they're done, (laughs) they're done, their life's over. Jesus says, I will come over to them and I will shield them from the winds of their emotions, the winds of the society, the winds of sin, and I will shield them from it and I'll start to blow on them and I'll start to nurture it and I'll get that flame coming back again. Jesus is sharing his heart towards people. I'm so glad our Savior is not a a braggadocious boaster. I'm so glad that he's tenderhearted and he, he cares about people. He compares us to broken reeds or bruised reeds and he compares us at times, and I think we, some of us can relate to this really well, to a wick where you're just like, I'm done, like I'm done. And Jesus says, you're not done. You know why you're not done? Because I care about you. And Jesus will bring that back in your life. You know, rather than quenching it, he's going to breathe on it. He's going to put the oxygen of his love. And he's going to continue to fan that flame in you. So as we're here this morning, maybe you're going through a season that's a dry season with the Lord, where you're just going, I don't really feel him like I used to feel him. Well, maybe you feel like that. I used to be like that. I used to, like the flame was there and it was just awesome. It was amazing. I just feel now like, I don't know, I can't see the flame anymore. The wick is still warm and it's smoldering, but I don't know. I just don't feel it anymore. You know what Jesus says? That's okay. I can help you with that. Will you ask me for help? Will you ask me for help? Because the only person that can get that started back up again is Jesus. You can't do it in your own. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to get closer with God. Ask God to warm your heart towards him. Ask God to help you. If you feel your heart's getting cold towards God, ask him to soften your heart and he will do it. In Psalm 80, verse 18 and 19, the psalmist finds himself in that same place. His wick is getting smoldering. It's almost ready to go out. And it says in Psalm 80, verse 18 and 19, then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The psalmist in these two verses of this song that's written, it's a call to God for God to do something that a person can't do. If you're finding yourself, maybe now is not that time. Maybe you're like, hey, I love the Lord and I feel like the fire is going. Praise the Lord. But just know this, we all find ourselves in seasons where it's a little bit dry and it's a little quiet. You're like, God, I don't know that I hear you very much anymore. You know what you need to do? You can just actually plagiarize this song if you want. And you can say, God, calling upon your name. God, restore me. Let your face shine upon me. God wants to do this work in our life. 
So great. I'm going to, Pastor Jim, this is great. I'm going to take a retreat right after service today. I'm going to retreat home. I'm going to turn on the game and it's going to be great. I'm going to retreat to lunch and hang out this afternoon. It'll be wonderful. And then on Monday, I mean, I'll just call in sick and I'll just kind of retreat. I'll be like, hey, my pastor said to retreat. Okay. Even when Jesus was withdrawing from people, he wasn't withdrawing from loving people. If opportunities posed themselves, Jesus wasn't like, oh, I'm really, really too busy right now because I'm I'm in retreat mode. And as a case in point, just look at the next two verses. And these are the last two verses we're looking at this morning, verse 22 and 23. So we know that Jesus withdrew from those that wanted to argue with him. Look at this, verse 22. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. Talk about a person with a lot of issues. Remember, Jesus is in retreat mode, right? I don't have time for a demon-possessed man that's both mute and blind. That's a lot of stuff. Come back tomorrow. And look at this. It says, this person was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. In verse 23, all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? In other words, can this be the king that follows in the line of David? Is this the one? You know what I love about this is even in a position of retreat, Jesus's mission was still the same. Jesus's mission did not change. I want to leave us with this image. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and I'm going to read this verse here. But think of this here, this picture of Jesus and Jesus's mission. If we can put that one up. Jesus's mission never changed. This is a painting called Agnes Day. Agnes Day. What does Agnes Day mean? Agnes Day is translated the Lamb of God. Jesus' mission never changed. His mission was always to go to the cross and to die. For just the Jews? For everyone. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus went to the cross as a lamb. Quiet, didn't make a noise because he's not a boaster. He's not this, I'm macho and I've got to prove myself and I'm going to argue everybody down. I'm going to yell everybody down. I'm going to just have all this testosterone and I'm going to end up just screaming you down and you're going to be so obvious that I'm the right person. Jesus instead loved people. He even let people brutalize him. He even allowed them to crucify him. But no one forced Jesus. Jesus was always in control and Jesus willingly went. You know what Jesus invites his followers to do? To follow his example. He asks you to follow his example so that when you run into those challenging situations, you know, you actually do have an option. You have an option to withdraw. You don't have to engage in foolish argument. You don't have to engage in fruitless conversation. You can actually choose to say and back away. And when you do, you know what you're going to find? A refreshment and a peace because you've done what God's called you to do and you're following in the footsteps of your Savior. As we're here this morning, why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes? If you're here today and you find yourself in a place where you need God's help, as as you've heard the scriptures and you're examining your life, you realize that you may be a bit of a door kicker, an argumentative type of a person. I have to win this conversation kind of a person. I have to be squeaky or nobody will hear me kind of person. 
And as you're hearing and seeing the example of your Savior, you realize that that's not what He's calling you to do. If you would like God to work in your life and to make you more in His Son's image, then you just have to ask Him. He so wants to. If you're that person, I'm going to have you raise your hand in just a moment. If you're a person who feels like that reed, you looked at that picture of the reed and you said, that's me. I'm, I'm bent over. My life has been painful. It's been a struggle. I'm brokenhearted. Maybe you have that wick and you're like, I feel like I'm, I'm not so close to God right now. I feel like that flame is going out. If you're any of those people that I just mentioned, you know what you need to do? It's all the same answer for all three. You need to ask God for his help. You can't do it by yourself. So as we're here, we have our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you need God's help in what you struggle with, then I would love to pray with you. Is there anybody here that feels that way? You could just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. Yeah, I see your hand, your hand. Yep. Okay. You can put your hands down. Father, there are those crying out to you. They're calling out to you like that psalmist said, I need help. I can't do this by myself. I can't, I can't restart that candle. I can't straighten the reed. I can't disengage from arguments that seem so appealing to me in my own strength. God, I need your help. I need to know what it is to be humble. I need to know what it is to be wise as I interact with people. God, I need to know what it is to retreat so that I could meet with you. God, I ask that you would please show me how to do that. Please help me. God, please mend what's broken inside of me and make me more like your son, Jesus. Help me to be a blessing to the people that are around me. I thank you, God, that you're not only here, but you also hear and answer. Father, I do thank you for all those that did pray that. I pray for myself. I pray for each one of us here too. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be like those Pharisees. I pray we would be like you, Jesus. I pray we would be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger with everyone, especially the people that can get under our skins. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. God, remind us and give us the power to do it. We can't do it by ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.